0: The October WASDE brings with it bearish news for corn and soybean markets as demand slows and stocks climb. Where does that leave prices as harvest wraps up? That's today on Field Posts. The DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The October WASD dropped Tuesday, October 12th. This report was expected to be a market mover, as USDA was expected to make some significant adjustments in the aftermath of the September 30th grain stocks report, and this month's WASDE was their first opportunity to correct the record. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack the updated figures in what turned out to be one of the more bearish reports we've seen in 2021. We'll talk more about the changes to stocks and demand estimates, how global supply chain disruptions are likely to continue unsettling ag exports, and how changes in the size of the U.S.'s livestock herd might be affecting feed demand. Then we'll discuss short stocks for wheat, harvest weather, and how COVID, inflation, and a disputed debt ceiling could impact ag markets right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the October world supply and demand estimates. Todd, I want to talk first about expectations going into the report. You know, we came out of that September 30th uh, report with some idea that there was going to be some clarification, some revisions uh, from this WASD. What were you expecting going in? And did you see what you thought you were going to see on the other side?
1: Uh, Yes. So heading into the report, I think it's fair to say um, that not only myself, but a lot of us were braced for a bearish corn and soybean numbers, mainly soybeans, uh, because of the higher September 30th stocks estimate that we got of 256 million bushels. Uh, and, and that largely uh, came true. Our, our expectations weren't disappointed there in terms of uh, looking for more bearish numbers uh, in both corn and soybeans. Uh, In terms of wheat, um, I think the numbers came in very close to expectations. Wheat, uh, as we'll talk about, had uh, more bullish adjustments to look forward to and continue to show that wheat supplies, not only in the U.S., but also the world, are much lower than they've been in a long time.
0: Yeah, we're going to dig in on some of those specifics. But uh, let's talk first, you know, since there were a lot of expectations uh, that aligned somewhat, in some ways well with uh, what actually came out of the report. How have the markets been reacting over the last few days?
1: Um, It's actually been very hard on the corn and soybean uh, markets lately. The day of the report, corn lost a dime and soybeans lost 30 cents. uh, And there's been a little more downward pressure since then. I'm talking to you on a Thursday and we're finally seeing a little bit of support uh, after hitting some new low prices for soybeans. Uh, in that. Uh, but uh, there's still a bit of a bearish hangover from this report.
0: Yeah, I'm curious then. Yeah, it's the 14th. So two days, just about two days after uh, that report came out. Are we still working through some of that, this new information, either from this WASD or from the September 30th report? Or do you think we've seen most of the effects at this point? And, and we have can expect, you know, a few weeks of relative stability, barring, you know, weather and other factors?
1: Well, I, I should say up front, uh, warning that I've been too bullish on my soybean outlook, uh, considering what's happened the last couple of weeks. But uh, even with this report, and I, quite frankly, I still have questions about the credibility of the stocks report for soybeans, simply because of what the market clues look like. Um, but uh, given that, I, I still think that we're probably close to finding some kind of harvest low here in soybeans. And so far, uh, December corn has held above its support at the $5 mark. Uh, and, and I do expect that to continue uh, to hold up.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into the details a little bit, setting aside soybeans to talk about corn first. Um, we did see some adjustments there kind of on, on some yield numbers and some ending stock figures. Talk to us about what you saw there and where you think those adjustments came from.
1: Okay, sure. Well, first, in the old crop uh, ending stocks, we expected the 1.24 billion bushels of corn from the September 30 number. We just thought it might be interesting to see where does USDA put this for an explanation, because if you recall, they actually also reduced the crop estimate for that 2020 season, and our suspicion was that they would put it in the feed and residual account, and that is exactly what they did. They dropped the feed and residual account by 128 million bushels. Um, So no surprise there. Uh, If there was a surprise in the corn, it was in the new crop side and uh, USDA slightly raised the corn yield to 176 and a half. But that crop estimate is still very close to the 15 billion bushel mark. It's just slightly above now. Um, So it it wasn't a, a significant change on the crop estimate part of the new crop season. Um, We had some other minor changes. Uh, There was a 50 million bushel reduction in the feed and residual in the new crop category, but a bit of a surprise. USDA raised the export estimate by 25 million bushels. Uh, I certainly didn't see that coming. At the end, uh, we have a new ending stocks estimate for corn, 1.5 billion bushels, and that's up almost 100 million bushels from what they said a month ago.
0: I want to get into those two, both the the feed and residual number and the exports, but let's do feed first. Um, talk to us a little bit. We had some expectations going in about uh, hog stock numbers and, and some other movement in the livestock industry. How did that, did the, what we knew about that going into the report play out into how that feed demand was reduced and what might that mean in the next couple of months in terms of demand and prices?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, the, the September hog report, when that came out and showed 4% less inventory on September 1 than what we had a year ago, that was a surprise to the market at the time. And I think that explains the 50 million bushel reduction that we see in that feed category uh, in this new stocks report. So um, overall, the the feed demand ex, uh, estimate or expectation, I'd say, for corn really is is largely neutral uh, in the season ahead last year versus this year, partly because hog inventories will be lower, uh, but we still have basically stable poultry inventories and uh, uh, cattle remains uh, to be seen.
0: Yeah, I want to talk switching gears over to the... Exports, export figures, you mentioned that we saw that surprising uh, increase in exports, which seems particularly surprising just given all the news we've heard recently about supply chain difficulties, shipping problems, especially in and out of China. Um, Yeah, talk to us about maybe what's happening there with those uh, predicted increases in exports.
1: Yeah, uh, well, of course, the, the thing that really hurt us recently was when Hurricane Ida came through and uh, damaged a lot of uh, grain terminals along the lower Mississippi River. So it's really put us off to a slow start in the new export season. Our corn shipments uh, to date are down 32% from a year ago, uh, largely uh, due to that slow start. Now, export sales are up a little from a year ago uh, yet, so there's some encouragement there. And if you recall, Brazil had a really bad crop last summer, um, or... (laughs) I should say just a few months ago, actually. Uh, And so uh, we still have very good uh, competitive potential here. But uh, as you say, I think there is some concern uh, about all the shipping logistics and problems uh, that we're hearing about. Not that a lot of grain goes through the Long Beach port, thankfully, Um, but uh, just everywhere shipping costs are higher. Uh, And there is port congestion around the world and in uh, other ports, Chinese ports included, and a lot of that's uh, tied to COVID and uh, labor issues around that topic, too. So that remains, I think, a bit of a bearish concern, but it's in the background right now. We don't have any hard evidence of it, Uh, but uh, Hurricane Ida definitely started us out a bit in the hole here in the new season.
0: I want to talk to, you mentioned some skepticism around supply figures and looking at, you know, having that, what happened in, in Brazil and Latin America in mind and what we're seeing in the U.S. with with demand and exports and, and what the demand numbers look like coming out of China. Um, you know, we also saw an updated world supplies estimate for corn. Did those numbers look right to you?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh so the ending stocks estimate for usda was increased from roughly 298 to almost 302 million metric tons uh and that was more than the trade expected but uh come to find out most of that revision came in last year's numbers so you know it's hard to outguess that sort of thing when they're going back and tinkering uh with the previous year uh and uh so it's It it wasn't a huge uh, change, thankfully. Um, So uh, I think the market took it in stride. Uh, As far as I think the numbers that the market is a little more concerned about and is going to continue to keep an eye on are USDA's estimates of China's corn situation. And those numbers uh, did not change this month. USDA still expects China to have to import roughly uh, just over a billion bushels of corn uh, in the new season. So that's still a a pretty bullish outlook as far as uh, our export business goes.
0: Yeah, I want to switch over to the soybean side and uh, talk a little bit, you know, we talked about a little bit more bearish report uh, coming off of, you know, the bearish news out of the September 30th report again. But, um, you know, was would you from your perspective, were these numbers particularly surprising or is this still within kind of the expectation range of of what could be, you know, actually a much bigger soybean stock cushion than we expected there would be?
1: Yeah, well, I would say there's two surprises in this report, and the first one started on September 30, and I'm still scratching my head over that one, but uh, the new ending stocks estimate for the old season is 256 million bushels, whether I like it or not, and then in the new crop season, I think the surprise in this report was um, not that USDA increased the yield estimate up to 51.5, which they did. But the fact that they're actually estimating a new records high soybean crop, 4.45 billion bushels. And uh, that really amazes me when you think about uh, the fact that we had really what I would say was uh, a pretty low planting start, acreage start uh, this year. 87.2 million acres I thought was on the low end of what the market needed. And uh, then the fact that we're getting that decent yield with really strong performance yields from, say, Nebraska through Indiana, that, that kind of central part of the Corn Belt, um, it's it's a bit astonishing to me uh, that we could overcome the drought in the Northwest and still come up with a record crop.
0: Yeah, are you, I, I don't know, are, any skepticism there or ideas about you know, where, what is informing these numbers from USDA? Is it just, you know, is it acreage reports on the ground? Is it, um, you know, I don't know, where where do you think this information is coming from that's informing these numbers?
1: Yeah, well, of course, uh, they, they have uh, producer surveys at their availability, they have the field plot data now that's uh, available to them. And this is actually the second uh, uh, month now that they've had that uh, objective field data. And, uh, and of course they keep track of, uh, weather and satellite images and things like that. So, um, I, I have to say, I actually, <laughs> for once, uh, I find myself probably, uh, believing and accepting their crop estimate, um, while I'm still scratching my head over the, the September 30th stocks estimate. And that's usually, uh, the reverse of where I'm at at this point in the season, because traditionally the grain stocks, uh, Attempts to take inventory are typically uh, quite reliable, and uh, we're always a little bit leery of their crop estimates.
0: Todd, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, I want to talk about the soybean demand picture as well. I mean, we have the same shipping problem in terms of soybeans that we have for corn, but we're also looking at, you know, crush and potentially some some shifts on the uh, in some other demand categories. What does demand for soybeans look like uh, coming out of this report and going into the next couple of months?
1: Yes. Well, if we just look at the export sales data that we have so far, and keep in mind, we're only looking at the first month of a, of a brand new season. Uh, our, our total export sales are down 38% from a year ago, and our shipments are down 70% from a year ago. And so uh, that's, again, thanks largely to Hurricane Ida uh, putting us in a bit of a hole there. But uh, as, as far as uh, China showing up with interest yet, that, that just kind of started at the end of August. And uh, it's, it's been a little bit more lukewarm uh, compared to a year ago. I still uh, contend, however, if you look at what's going on in China, I think they still have a very large production deficit uh, to fill there. I, I still think their import need is going to be a record amount. USDA is looking for a record amount of uh, total imports for China of 101 million metric tons this year. And for the most part, the soybean price has held up remarkably well, given the fact that we've heard news that their crush facilities have been closed uh, due to efforts to conserve energy in the country. So given kind of the bearish news of uh, all the shipping concerns and hearing about crush plants being closed in China, their soybean prices in the country are still not that far off of this year's highs.
0: I want to skip over. I want to come back to talk about that, that global picture a little bit more, but I want to skip over to wheat, uh, which was, I think the most, we were the most optimistic going into this report about uh, news on the wheat side. I'm curious what you thought in terms of top line on the wheat side, it was this a bullish report kind of neutral. Where were we at?
1: Yes. Well, it's, it's a, a bullish report, I think, by any uh, standard. And the U.S. ending stocks estimate for wheat now, 580 million bushels, that was actually in line with expectations. So I can't say it was a shock or surprise. And, and we expected uh, a lower production estimate from the September 30 grain summary. So the surprise element wasn't there necessarily. But this WASDE report did confirm that we're looking at Uh, the lowest estimate of U.S. wheat supplies in the past 14 years. Uh, And so that is just supportive to prices, no matter how you look at it. And that was also matched uh, by an equally bullish looking uh, world estimate for uh, ending wheat stocks. And that is if we look at the top eight major exporters, we also see the lowest ending supplies estimated for that group. Uh, in the past 14 years, so whether we look at U.S. or world numbers, we're looking at much tighter supplies than we've seen in a long time.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into the the kind of individual classes of wheat here too to do you know a check-in. We we know where in the U.S. we're struggling on the the weather front with the drought, but you know when you're taking a closer look at the specific numbers on for the individual wheat crops, anything new or concerning there that you're keeping your eye on?
1: Um, well, it's just uh, it, it just reinforces it again that we're getting down to a very tight situation. So for the hard red category, uh, which uh, is reflected by Kansas City Wheat Futures, those supplies are estimated at a seven-year low this year. The hard red spring wheat category, which is your Minneapolis wheat, is estimated at a 14-year low, and the soft red winter wheat variety uh, is represented by Chicago wheat, is going to be uh, looking at its second lowest supply total in the past 14 years. So really all all three categories uh, fairly tight. And of course, that's not going to change much through winter. Uh, we're not going to grow any wheat between now and next spring. So uh, we've, we've got many months uh, for commercials to try to uh, uh, entice the wheat out from farmers' hands.
0: And then placing this in kind of that global context with what we're seeing from the world ending stocks number. any changes in in outlook in terms of just production in the world scale or are we still kind of at a um, in a holding pattern in terms of potential things that might you know move wheat markets?
1: Yeah, USDA didn't have uh, too many changes for us on that regard. Uh, they did lower Canada's wheat crop estimate two million metric tons. It's now 21 million metric ton, and they slightly tweaked Europe's uh, wheat crop a little higher, but they kept the estimates the same for Russia and Ukraine. And then as far as the southern hemisphere is concerned, those wheat crop estimates were kept the same. And uh, our our meteorologist tells us that Australia's wheat crop looks like it's in pretty good condition. But uh, in Argentina, things are starting out a little bit on the dry side. So it'll be interesting to see how that one develops.
0: Now I have to ask because this has just been such a a, a truly kind of insane year in terms of uh, market swings and and stock tightness and following these trends. And I'm curious, you know, if we thinking in terms of so much of following the markets is just like being able to make kind of good hypotheses and and good predictions based on good data. You know, six months ago or eight months ago, we were looking at really record. You know, looking into the 2021 year looking at record soybean, low soybean stocks, tight soybean stocks. Um, you know, soybeans have been the focus over the summer and and kind of throughout this season. And then, you know, in the last couple of months, we've, we've really seen a bit of a turn, not a dramatic about face or anything, but a bit of a turn where, you know, wheat has really taken over the spotlight. In terms of predictability, well, like putting yourself back six months or eight months, is was there any way to predict these kind of changes or is this just, you know, as a as an analyst and as someone who's paying attention to this information, it's just like, yeah, it's just, you just follow the markets and you only can see so far into the future.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, in that regard, I feel very much like a weather forecaster and, you know, you can only see so much so far ahead and uh, there's, there's always uh, big surprises and you know, it seems like the surprises lately have just gotten bigger every year, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe COVID will be the king of surprises for a while. But uh, six months ago compared to now, obviously, uh, in the early summer of this year, we were really engaged in a very strong bidding war for corn and soybeans, which uh, had obviously a very tight supply situation, and commercials were really scrambling to secure the supplies they needed. I think if there was a surprise there, it's that uh, it it appears in hindsight that they largely got their needs secured by June because the demand numbers for the final three months of the year really dropped off, I think, far sharper than anyone expected. Um, And uh, so that that was a bit of a surprise that uh, they were as not engaged in the demand side of either corn or soybeans in the final quarter of of the season Uh, and uh, really we're seeing some of the lowest demand totals there that we've seen in several years so the uh in in retrospect i think we can say that uh, the the news and information that corn and soybean supplies were tight uh, was widely available out there and people were acting strongly on it, but only up to a certain point. And then when they got what they needed, they were pretty much done. And so we've kind of been on this long downhill slide now uh, into the harvest period.
0: Yeah, I guess it's sort of, in that case, understanding in a given moment, whether you're experiencing kind of a blip or a trend. Uh, and and in terms of, I, from an analyst perspective, you know, is there any way to really tell? <laughs>
1: Um, well, uh, I think, uh, what, uh, probably tipped us off the best, uh, or, or, uh, maybe should have spoke louder to us was keeping an eye on those cash prices. And in particular, uh, it's the cash soybean price that fell over $2 a bushel in the final three months of the year. And I just recall, you know, all through that time, uh, seeing those cash soybean prices fail and seeing the meal price. Uh, fall also and thinking, you know, how can this be with such tight supplies? And so if there really was a clue, that was uh, the one I think to pay attention to. But, uh, you know, in in our models, uh, we do pay very close attention to trend. And so uh, we did see definite breaks in both corn and soybeans when they broke out of their kind of summer triangle formations. And uh, those were good tip-offs as well that, the, the, the peak and the extraordinary demand situation that we had seen behind us was uh, finally starting to cool.
0: I'm curious, uh, mentioning cash prices, um, what is, checking in on on kind of those three big crops, any, what's like our basis update at the moment? Usually during harvest, we don't have tremendously high of expectations, but uh, what are you seeing in terms of trends?
1: Yeah, well, this, Sarah, this is the one where uh, I I have a hard time uh, or let me put it this way: because of the very strong basis that we're seeing, um, and and I'll just say, corn and soybeans are at their strongest basis levels in nine years for this time of year. Uh, to me, that doesn't quite jive with USDA's September 30th finding of 256 million bushels of soybeans, and so. That's the one hesitation I have where I, I'm keeping the door open to the possibility that just possibly we'll, we may see a future revision in that September 30 number. It, it may turn out actually to be uh, less than the 256 that they're saying. So that uh, corn basis is a very important clue. And it tells me that in spite of uh, even if we are having a good 15 billion bushel corn crop and a, a record soybean crop here, we still have very good demand for the corn and soybeans that are in the country. And that's, that's a good uh, optimistic sign for prices moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious too, you know, outside of the WASDE and the September 30th report, um, harvest is ongoing in a good part of the country. Uh, Are you hearing any reports or reactions about how harvest is, is shaping up and coming off that are, you know, Influencing the way you're thinking about the market at all?
1: Well, uh, we we did hear uh, even before the WASD report, we we heard that uh, soybean yields seemed to be a little better than expected in many different parts of the country. So, um, I I think that wasn't exclusive to us. I think a lot of people had been hearing that because uh, there there did seem to be a broad expectation that uh, the yield would be bumped up a little higher in this report. And I you know I just have to say that. I think those very late rains that we saw in late August and early September really uh, helped the situation in the Western Plains because it was looking quite dire uh, up to that point. So even those rains, even though the rains were extremely late in the season, I think they did help in that filling period and and, uh, really kind of saved the bacon here uh, for the soybean crop for a lot of fellas uh, this year on corn. The anecdotes have been mixed and uh, it just uh, it it just didn't seem like there was a strong direction up or down in what we were hearing about corn reports. And I I would say uh, I probably get more information from the western corn belt than I hear about the eastern corn belt. And in the west, it seemed like a lot of guys who knew how bad and how dry it was this year didn't expect great yields in the first place, but were pleasantly relieved that maybe it wasn't as bad as they feared.
0: You know, we're we've obviously COVID continues to be a factor that's influencing markets out there. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve here in the U.S. is starting to have slightly more serious conversations about inflation and what that might look like. You know, we've seen in Washington work on a debt ceiling and and t- all of the political wrangling that goes along with that. I'm curious, you know, when you look at the front page of kind of the regular newspaper. Are you seeing things out there in terms of news items that you think might start having some effects in agricultural markets as we move towards the end of the year?
1: Uh, well, what I'm seeing right now is, number one, it's encouraging. It looks like the uh, new cases of COVID in the U.S. spiked to a high on about August 27 and have been coming down since then. So that's encouraging. Um. We're not hearing of new reports of closing ports or uh, lockdown measures either in Europe or Asia because of COVID. So that's also encouraging. Uh, We're seeing um, uh, U.S. uh, gasoline consumption still doing very well. Uh, Just this morning, the jobless claims report came out with a new uh, low that goes back to just before COVID started. So the economy continues to show signs of progress in life. That all uh, seems good and in the right direction overall. Um, the Fed is talking about pulling back some stimulus here in mid-November. I'm sure they'll keep a close watch on, uh, I, I don't think they want to get out too far in front to where they would squelch uh, or discourage any uh, economic rebound. Uh, but uh They're certainly not going to be talking about raising interest rates anytime soon, so I think that's all good news. Natural gas uh, increase in prices is a big concern, and of course, the problem seems most dire in Europe, but uh, has also affected the situation in China, Uh, and that'll be probably a chronic problem over the winter. But fortunately, our natural gas supplies here in the U.S. are in much better shape than they are in Europe, and while our prices will be more expensive and our fertilizer costs continue to go up, uh, hopefully we'll be able to weather through that. Okay. We're, you know, I think everybody is getting accustomed to the fact that we're going to have some expensive fertilizer costs next spring, but, uh, I, I think we can expect that at least the fertilizer will be available. Just recently, uh, we've seen shine signs of shipping costs come down sharply between China and the U S now, um, Uh, Part of that, it's been due to China shutting down their industrial production to conserve energy. And so uh, we saw a big drop off since early September in uh, some of those shipping rates. And of course, we're hearing about uh, on Long Beach, how they're intervening to really get things moving. They had record cargo movement in August, and it sounds like they're trying to ramp that up uh, even further today. So I, I Still think it's going to take at least three to six months for uh, any kind of normalization in in this whole uh, shipping congestion uh, situation. But uh, overall, uh, the grain ships seem available, and uh, I think they will make it to port.
0: You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.